What's up, Fail Nation? Before we get started on this amazing interview today, I just wanted to take a minute and remind you guys that if you are in the process of starting a business, if you're ready to get going and you need to license your company, which you do, take a minute to go to freedomtofail.betterlegal.com and there you can license your company, form an LLC for just $99. Normally, it would be $299 on Better Legal. So this is an amazing deal for you, and I just want to make sure that you guys can take advantage of it. Again, that's freedomtofail.betterlegal.com to license and register your company for just $99 today. Now let's jump into the interview. I had zero income for nine months. I got down to 25 bucks in my bank account. I moved back in with my parents. The worst thing was I told my girlfriend that I couldn't keep taking her on dates because I didn't have money. I said, if you want to keep going on dates, you're going to have to pay until I make a sale. That was tough for me. That felt a little emasculating. What is up, everyone? I'm Kyle, and I am the host and founder of the Freedom to Fail podcast and Fail Nation, a community where failing while pursuing our dreams is a positive and taking uncertain chances is celebrated. This podcast is for those who have a dream of starting a business or doing something they've always dreamed of, but have been held back by their fears. Our purpose is to share the unsuccessful stories of successful people so that you can learn how to take the first steps towards achieving your dreams. You deserve to live a life full of freedom and free of fear. Let's do this. All right. What is up, Fail Nation? Today, we are lucky to be here with Dustin Hughes. How are you doing, man? Doing good, man. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. A little bit of background about Dustin. On Instagram and everything, you go by Toasty, right? Yeah. Where did that come from? Yeah. So it's kind of funny. Back in high school... So I really like Halloween. I enjoy everything about it, you know, from the candy to the costumes, getting to pretend that you're somebody else. And my parents cut me off on Halloween in seventh grade. And so from seventh grade to junior year of high school, I wasn't allowed to go out on Halloween. I had to like do these little parties at my house that nobody wanted to come to because it was Halloween. And finally, junior year, my parents let me go outside the house. (laughs) It sounds like I was stuck in a dungeon or something, but it was my basement. So my friends and I all got together and we were like, what do we even do with this new freedom that we have? So we started trying to figure out ideas and we were like, let's go get some hot chocolate. So we went to the Jackson's and we got some hot chocolate and we're sipping this hot chocolate and we're like, you know, it's all right, but it's not great. We start coming up with ideas of what would make it great. So we're like those little butter mints that you get at uh, weddings and stuff. Put a couple of those in here, perfect hot chocolate. And so we start thinking like, how do we get those? And we're like, Mongolian barbecue always has a couple in their like little tray next to the door. So we drive over Mongolian barbecue. My friend walks in and they must have just got a shipment of these butter mints because there's an entire box. Like, I mean, this was a two foot by one and a half foot box. And my buddy, instead of just grabbing a handful, grabs the entire box and backs out of the store and gets back to the car and he goes, look what I got. And we're like, why did you do that? And just then this dude busts out the door with his like stir stick above his head and he's yelling in Mongolian. And so my buddy just throws the box at me, jumps in the car, reverses, and we're out of there. And we go to our old hangout spot that was just a bridge on a walking path here in Boise. And we're sitting there on this bridge, sipping our hot chocolate, and it's perfect now. After a little while, we go back to the car, we get in the car, and the car's still warm. And my buddy goes, 
wow, Toasty, it's really dusty in here because it was so warm and he just messed it up. And now it's been like 14 years. So more people in Boise know me as Toasty. In any setting, if somebody uses my real name, people are like, who's that? And then they're like, oh, it's Toasty. And they're like, oh, okay, it's crazy. That's awesome. So just for everyone out there, he grew up in Boise, Idaho. And when he was 16 years old, he hiked the tallest mountain in Idaho there. But on top of that, when he turned 22, he got his real estate license, earned a couple of real estate awards for being just so good at that. And he currently owns a photography business dealing with real estate, helping realtors provide top quality photography and top quality pictures for all of their listings there. So I'm curious, how did you get into the business world side of things? What made you decide to start your own business? Yeah, so uh, everybody in my family is either an entrepreneur or they work at the hospital. So basically, I had two options in life. I could either work in a hospital, I applied several times and never even got an interview, or I could be an entrepreneur. Since I couldn't get an interview at the hospital, I decided to be an entrepreneur. And my brother has been doing real estate for about 20 years now. When I was in college and looking to start something, I uh, talked to him and I was you know, shooting some ideas back and forth. One of the ideas that I ended up doing was stunts for money. So a real life hot rod. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Very much inspired by hot rod. I tried not to be as stupid, but when you're doing stunts for money, it happens. You know, I got pepper sprayed for 25 bucks and a pair of sunglasses. It wasn't the best time in my life. (laughs) But yeah, eventually we settled on uh, doing real estate. And so he just pitched it to me, you know, so that it's a good way to uh, one, learn how to network, two, learn how to sell yourself and uh, three, get some money. So when you say we decided to, does that mean that you work um, in your real, t- uh, in, does that mean that you work in your real estate business with him? Yeah. So my brother uh, in 2009 started a brokerage in, in Boise uh, called Boise Premier. And so when I was looking to get my real estate license, it was an obvious choice to go and work with him rather than work with any other brokerage in, uh, in Idaho. I know that working with family can be really rewarding, but at the same time, there can also be times where there's just a lot going on just because you're with them all the time too. So what is that like working with a family member? Do you guys have any disputes or arguments or is it about the same as working with anybody else? We actually tried to work together earlier on in my, in my uh, career both of my brothers had started a carpet cleaning business. And so they hired me to be their door-to-door salesman. And uh, man, it sucked. I hated it. But the thing that was worse about it was if I wasn't meeting my goals or my quotas, they would call me. I'd be home after a long day playing some video games or something. And they'd give me a call and they'd uh, chew me out for not making the goal. Or why are you playing video games right now when you could be out selling still? There's a lot of pressure there, you know, and they held me to a higher standard because it was a family business and it was just the three of us. But now my brother's grown his brokerage so much. Uh, I think we have 180 agents or something like that. So he really doesn't have time to get on my case or anything. It's pretty relaxed. And uh, I feel like we have a lot more trust with each other now. 
That's awesome. Yeah, that's a really cool thing that you get to do that with him and that you've seen the bad and are now experiencing the good too. I kind of wanted to jump back a little bit when you were younger. You said that there were a lot of people in your family that were entrepreneurs. And I'm just curious, before you jumped into real estate, before you jumped into photography, did you try your hand at entrepreneurship when you were a little kid at all with the lemonade stand or anything yeah. like that? Lemonade stands were the biggest failure of my life, I think. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, back in the day, one of my earliest failures, I think, was uh, I always thought that I wanted to be like a singer in a band or something. But I was so like self-conscious of singing in front of people. And I was so worried about any sort of criticism with that, that I didn't even sing enough in front of people to get any criticism. And so I, I think that was like a big failure for me was that I never even allowed myself to have a failure. You know, I didn't even make the first move. I didn't even try at all. I still look back on that and think maybe I should have tried a little bit harder. I appreciate you opening up and sharing that. I really relate to that a ton. As all of you guys out there know, I talk about fear and failure a ton just because it's influenced my life so much. And there have been so many times where I allow fear to really just stop me from doing something. It's the fear of the unknown of the potential worst case scenario that I just have running through my mind all the time. And it just stops me from going for my dreams or for chasing what I truly am passionate about. And it's a horrible feeling letting that fear win over something that you are extremely passionate about and something that you love. Because it's funny, if you live in fear, you have that fear forever. But even if it's the worst failure of your entire life, you're going to maybe feel it for a year, max, something like that. Like I got divorced. That's the biggest failure of my entire life. But it's been about a year and I can already feel it going away there. And so failure of any kind, even the worst kind in the world, fades over time. But if you have fear and you never try and overcome that fear, then you're just going to live with that fear forever. Kind of touching on that subject a little bit more uh, with fears and with failures and everything in your life. Are there any other moments or any other things that you could call like your biggest mistake or failure, either personally or professionally? Yeah. So actually, uh, one of the things, so I was always afraid of being a salesman because I'm a terrible salesman. <laughs> and I think the thing that held me back from being a good salesman early on was that I was always focused on the product. I, I was always trying to sell the best product, you know, and I was always trying to sell people on, oh, we have the best carpet cleaning care, or this is the best house, you know? And so when I got my real estate license, I was 22, but I looked like I was 15. And uh, it's really difficult to get people to put their biggest investment, like the, the most money that they'll put into almost anything in their lives in the hands of somebody who looks like they're 15. <laughs> I quit my full-time job uh, where I was making a pretty decent amount of money for a college student. And I then had no income and I had some money saved up, which went a lot quicker than I thought it was due to the expense of getting my real estate license. And I had clients, but I didn't have any sales for nine months. And so I had zero income for nine months. I got down to 
25 bucks in my bank account. I moved back in with my parents into their basement. The worst thing was I told my girlfriend at the time that I couldn't keep taking her on dates because I didn't have money. I said, if you want to keep going on dates, like you're going to have to pay (laughs) until I make a sale. That was tough for me. You know, that uh, felt a little emasculating. During that time, I realized that selling wasn't so much about the product. You know, I was focusing so much on finding the right house for people and not so much on selling them on me. And once I started selling them on me, that's when the sales started happening. You know, it was a lot easier to get clients, to keep clients, to keep them engaged when they knew that I was interested in them and they were interested in me. That was probably one of the hardest times in my life. So when you say that you started selling people on yourself, what exactly do you mean by that? What were some of the things that you did to be able to gain their trust and to get the ball moving again? One of the things that I learned during that time was the Ford method. Uh, I don't know if you've heard of that. I have not. So it's for when you're getting to meet people, the questions you ask to get to know them, you know, uh, family, occupation, recreation, and dreams. So you go into what's your family like? Uh, Are you close with them? Uh, What do you do for work? Uh, What do you do for fun? What do you wish you could be doing? You know, and I think that when you ask those questions, you really get to know somebody and it shows them that you're actually interested in knowing them. And when people know that you have an interest in them, they generally will take an interest in you as well. And so I think that that was probably one of the most inter- or the most important things that I learned was just to show a genuine interest in people. I think that's really important there. The key to any to really any type of emotional connection is being able to connect with them, being able to put them first and learning about them because I've definitely been in conversations on both sides where either the other person is talking a ton about themselves or I find myself talking a lot about myself and the conversation just feels flat and there's no connection there. I really love that. I'd never heard of the Ford method before, but I like that a ton. So I'm curious, just with everything that's going on, what you're doing there, what do you wish that you could be doing instead in your life? Or what do you hope to be doing in the future? That is a good question. Um, It's actually kind of funny. A few years back, Tim Ferriss put out this thing, uh, one of his five bullet Friday things. His question was, what does your ideal day look like? And uh, so you're supposed to list out like all the things that you wanted in your ideal day. And then, and then the next question was, how is your ideal day different from your current day? And then how do you make your current day look more like your ideal day? The whole point essentially was that your ideal day isn't out of grasp. You can have your ideal day just about every day, as long as you put your priorities in there. And so for the last couple of years, I've been trying to figure out what my ideal day is and trying to figure out how to make every day more like that. The things that I find the most joy in are meeting new people, getting to know their stories, and also exploring new areas. I may not get to a new area every single day, but I can at least meet new people every day. And I generally will be out hiking or 
driving to a new area at least a couple times a week. And that's something that the flexibility of real estate and photography has given me is the ability to choose my own schedule and to do things like that. First off, I got to put a plug in there. His photography is incredible. He's definitely someone... I don't even remember how I stumbled across your page a while back, but I found you somehow and your photography is absolutely incredible there. So I want to get to that point someday. That's actually one of my goals this year is not to get on your level because I will never be able to do that, but just be (laughs) able to improve my photography a good amount and just go exploring and try and get out shooting at least once a week to get some practice in there. But I love that because part of the benefits of being an entrepreneur is we get that freedom and that flexibility with our time. The other part that's hard is that we have to manage ourselves to make sure that we don't misuse that freedom. For me, the biggest challenge of being an entrepreneur is being able to find that focus and being able to stay committed and dedicated 100% of the time. For you, what would be the biggest challenge of being self-employed, of being an entrepreneur? Yeah. So, I mean, like you're saying, it's it's a total double-edged sword. You have complete control over your schedule, but you also have complete control over your schedule. You have to figure out a balance between discipline and having fun because I think when I first started real estate, when I first started getting into entrepreneurialism, I was so focused on the hustle. I was grinding as much as I possibly could with being able to sleep still, you know, I used to take pride in being at the office from like seven thirty in the morning to 11 or midnight, you know, and I hate myself for this now, but I would tweet been working for 14 hours a day, you know, and, and it was like my badge of honor. And it took me literally five years from the time that I started a business to the point where I felt comfortable taking a vacation. And even then, I wasn't that comfortable. I was in Spain with my dad and I was still, you know, like answering calls while we're walking the streets. I was constantly checking my phone. I got the the international plan so that I could make sure I didn't miss anything. When in the reality, most of the things that I was answering, I could have either delegated to another agent that, that I work with, or, you know, I could have just waited until the end of the day. Most of the things that I was dealing with weren't immediate, but that's been the biggest issue for me was finding that balance because sometimes now it almost seems like, at least to my followers on Instagram and social media, it probably seems like I'm doing fun things far more often than I'm working, (laughs) which isn't necessarily the case, but that's kind of how it comes across. And so I have to constantly reset and reevaluate my message that's coming across to the people that I'm in contact with. I like that a lot. That's a good point. Just kind of taking control of the narrative that we provide to other people there. I want to jump back a little bit more into failure. Obviously, that's the whole point of this podcast is talking about fears and talking about failures and what we learn from it and how we grow. I really, really liked your story about how you didn't make a sale for nine months and just the situation that you found yourself in, I find very captivating. And so I'm just curious, in that time that you didn't make a sale, what were some of the thoughts that were going through your mind and how were you feeling? Yeah, so one of the big things 
that kept on coming to me was a sense of helplessness. You know, um, I got into real estate so that I could control my income, my life, all these different things. I, I wanted to have control over them and I found myself having no control over any of it. Uh, so I was constantly feeling helpless. I was feeling like a failure. Honestly, my brother, when he got into real estate, he was a top producer the year that he got into real estate. And so I was constantly comparing myself with him and with other agents and just felt like I would never measure up to these guys. There was just a a feeling of not being good enough as well. So how did you take that feeling and not let it overwhelm you to the point where you just curl up in a ball and just say, okay, maybe I'm not cut out for this. Maybe I should just go find another job. What gave you the motivation to be able to push forward and keep moving on in the face of adversity? So I think the one thing that I did have control over was the things that I would take in, you know, the messages that that I would take in. So I may not have had complete control over the feelings that I'd have, but I had control over the books that I was reading, the media that I was taking in. I had control over who I allowed to take up space in my life. And so I think by continuing to read good books, um, spending my time on, on learning and investing in myself, that really helped as well as, you know, I wasn't watching very much TV at that time. Uh, I was trying to make sure that all the messages that I was getting were positive and that they were going to help me. And then as well as the people that I, that I was allowing to take up time in my life, I made sure that they were people who were on my side. You know, if they were people who maybe didn't wish me as well, then I tried not to give them as much space which was a tough balance because getting started in sales, especially in real estate sales, it's, it's about casting a wide net. One of the best things that uh, my real estate instructor told me was you can only work with those who will work with you. And so I was constantly trying to apply that in my life. And if I found out somebody wasn't or wouldn't work with me in any way, then I just stopped spending my time on them. That's a really cool quote. I had never really thought about it or heard it before. You can't work with those who don't want to work with you. That's really profound because it's true. I feel like for me personally, there's a lot of times, maybe not when it comes to business, but just in life in general and in my relationships, I'm a really big people pleaser. So I find myself trying really hard to get people to like me or trying really hard to maybe make a relationship or a friendship appear out of thin air and stuff. But that can be exhausting mentally and it just drains all of the fun and joy out of your life. And so I think that's a really good key. Control what you can control. Do all the work on yourself that you can, like what you were saying, like what you did with reading and just really working on growing yourself. And then cut out those people that aren't rooting for your 100%. And it can be really hard because sometimes they're family members and it doesn't mean stop being family with them, but it just means stop giving them the attention that you were giving them previously. And that's a really big challenge for me because I want to be best friends with everybody that I meet. And so because of that, it's so hard for me to kind of turn it off and recognize that people aren't going to like me. Have you heard of the 80-20 rule? 
80% of your work will be done by 20% or yeah. Yeah. So the Pareto effect, 80% of your results come from 20% of your work. I can't remember who it was. Someone applied that same principle to relationships and I really, really liked it. It was Mark Manson uh, in the book, The Subtle Art of Not Giving an F. It's my favorite book of all time. It's, it's so good. I highly recommend it to everyone out there. And I've talked about this before on a previous podcast, I think. But in it, he says, people want to be accepted by other people. We're like humans are social beings. That's what we want. But you got to get it through your mind that 20% of the people that you meet aren't going to like you for one reason or another. And it may not be because you do anything wrong. It's just because people have such different personalities that you may just not click with someone. And so it has nothing to do with you. It's just nature. And it's just the fact that not everyone is going to like you. People would tell me that all the time growing up, like not everyone's going to like you, just kind of accept it and roll with it. But it was hard for me anytime I meet someone that doesn't, that I don't really vibe with or that I don't feel a good connection or I feel maybe like I'm trying a lot harder than they are or something like that. It's easier for me because I can just say, oh, they're just one of the 20%. And so I don't even worry about it as much anymore. Whereas before, if someone didn't like me, I would really focus so much of my energy. And that just is, number one, it's super time consuming. But number two, it's draining because you're just trying to please everyone else there. So I wanted to throw that in there because I just, for me personally, that's something that I've always dealt with. But that little rule right there, the 80-20 rule in this situation really helped me out there. Funny you bring up the subtle art of not giving an F because uh, that's actually one of my favorite books. Uh, and I was planning on talking about it a little bit later, but uh, now I got to come up with a new book. <laughs> Let's talk about it a little bit right now. Because obviously, you know that I always ask people about books. What did you like about it? What are some of the things that made you want to talk about it and bring it up? Like you, I, I've always been a people pleaser, you know, and that's where a lot of my fear has come from is I've never wanted to offend somebody and, and I always want people to like me and I never want somebody to have anything bad to say about me, you know? So a lot of my fear has come from being afraid of making a wrong move that somebody doesn't like. And that book really is just, it's so empowering. Everything about it is something that I like, you know, it, it's a great book. And and I haven't read it in a little bit. I say a little bit, it's been like six months, but uh, it's one that I definitely try to read like once a year now. Yeah. I read it for the first time last year in January, I think, because I had the goal to read a book a, a week. I didn't make that goal. I failed at that. And so that's another thing, just embracing failure and learning from it. That's my new goal this year again is a book a week. But after I read it last year, it changed my whole life, literally 100% the way that I viewed the world and everything. And it was so good that I read it like two other times throughout the year as well. So again, that's not just me saying it. Now you hear it from someone else too. Go check out that book if you haven't. So we've been talking for a little bit just about all this stuff about fear and failure. And it's been really, really good. I kind of want to jump into our lightning round right now and just ask you a few questions and get your responses about some of my favorite questions there. The first one is for me, the most important one and the one that I love talking about, but it's what is your biggest fear? 
So I've been thinking about this one quite a bit. And I think that my biggest fear is my life will end without having added any meaning to the world. Just just not having any sort of impact on the world, whether it be a micro scale or a macro scale. I need to leave some sort of impact that is lasting. I relate to that a ton. I think about what my legacy is going to be and how I'm going to leave this world. And it's hard for me because I still haven't figured it out. And so I'm still trying to work on what I want that to be. So I'm not sure about it. But do you have any idea of what you want your legacy to be? I wish I did, (laughs) but I don't. That's why it's one of my biggest fears is I don't know what I want to accomplish and I don't know how I'm going to accomplish it. So I'm still working on that one. Yeah. Okay. So moving on to the next one, what would you say is your personal definition of failure? I'd have to say inaction. In the past, I've been so afraid to do something because I was afraid of not making it or I was afraid of uh, how my reputation was going to be perceived if I did this thing that I, I just wouldn't do anything. I actually think that doing stunts for money helped me get past that <laughs> because it forced me to do a lot of things that were stupid and that I never thought that I would have done. I love that. Rod Kimball should be everyone's hero. <laughs> just the way that he goes about pursuing his dreams to save his dad's life. It's inspiring. It is. I like that a lot. And I can definitely relate to that. Doing things like that, that put you out of your comfort zone are so good at helping you overcome your fear of failure or your fear of rejection or inadequacy or anything like that. There's a a TED talk that I watched. I can't remember who the guy was, but it's called The 100 Days of Rejection. And in it, he basically commits to doing something stupid or asking something stupid for 100 days straight to get over the fear of rejection. He would go and ask stupid things or go and just do so many dumb things just to kind of desensitize himself to that fear of rejection and just the fear of failure there. So like, I think he said, Something along these lines, he would go to like a dessert place and ask for a sandwich or the most random things ever, kind of along the same lines, forcing yourself to be okay with however the world views you by doing those things that in the movie, Rod got laughed at a ton because people thought they were that ridiculous. So was that kind of how it was for you? Yeah, absolutely. I think it was Tim Ferriss as well in the four-hour work week. He talks about doing things that are out of the social norm. Like when you're walking down the street, making eye contact for too long with the person who's coming towards you, you know, (laughs) and he gives you a couple ways out of it. I think he says, uh, if somebody wants to fight you or something, you just say, Oh, I thought you looked like somebody I know, you know? And, uh, his, his whole thing was, well, it was the exact same idea. Do things that are uncomfortable to get you used to that uncomfortable feeling. And so I think that it worked the exact same way. I was doing so many things that were uncomfortable, both socially and mentally, emotionally, that it kind of made my filter go away, basically. (laughs) Tim Ferriss is awesome. Have you seen his TED Talk? He has a couple about fear, but one especially is about fear setting. You should go check that one out. I love that one. It kind of goes along the same line 
in that TED talk, he just says, okay, find your goal. What are you most passionate about? Write down why you're most passionate about it. And then write down all the things that could go wrong with that along the way. Because obviously we know that fear is the biggest dream killer out there. And so if we don't learn how to manage our fear, then it's going to lead us to inaction like what we've talked about already. He says like, write down everything that could go wrong. And then when you actually have it on paper, then also write down why that wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. Mm-hmm. Or like what you're going to do after that thing goes wrong. So kind of plan for failure for like the worst case failure. So that way that you know that even if you don't reach your dream, you still have plans. So it kind of, it still puts the power in your hands to be able to achieve your dreams. Because even if you're a failure the first time, in reality, you're still going along with what your plans are because you you plan for what you were going to do after that failure. It's really, really fascinating there. You should go check it out. And then all of our listeners too, if you haven't already, go check that one out. It's I think it's called The Art of Fear Setting or something like that. Yeah. But moving on to the next one, I want to just know for you being able to have the success that you've, that you've been able to achieve, what has been one habit that has contributed to that success? Uh, I think I already touched on it a little bit, but um, I have a curiosity and interest in people's stories. And so I think just constantly having that curiosity about people has helped me be successful. So just being able to have those open conversations with them. Yeah. Cause I feel like after all the experiences that I've had, I don't really have a fear of asking people uncomfortable questions. So I kind of generally just will jump right in and people most of the time will react well to that. Sometimes I ask the wrong question, but you're a failure, right? Yeah. You got to get over that. How people respond, you can't control. And then you just learn from it if that happens. So I like that a lot. I'm definitely going to be using the Ford factor. I really, really liked that. And I had never thought about it that way. It kind of changed the whole way that I interact with people, at least initially when I learned that. Yeah, understandably so, because it now helps you learn how to connect with someone, which in turn increases your chances of success whether it be finding a friend or finding someone to work with or finding a customer or anything like that. So it's a really cool way to go about things and just building that connection right off the bat. So the next question that I have is what is the best piece of advice that you have ever received? So my brother told me a long time ago that uh, my biggest problem in life wouldn't be having too few options, it would be having too many options. And at first, that seems like kind of an entitled way of thinking. But the more that I've thought about it over the years, it's a lot more deep than I thought it was initially. I think Warren Buffett said that he, of all the ideas that land on his desk, he takes, (laughs) he'll take like one out of a thousand or something because he's not looking for good ideas. He's looking for the best ideas. And I think that in my life, it's been very difficult to figure out what the best ideas are versus just, this is a good idea and where to spend my time on that. That is something that I struggle with all the time because as an entrepreneur, I have the shiny object syndrome that really makes me look constantly for the next best thing or the next thing that I can get into to make some money. I mean, you can make a quick buck on it, but at the same time, it 
it makes you lose all of your focus. And by living that way, there's more of a chance that you actually do nothing because you're weighing so many different options there. So I really like that, just narrowing things down and finding the absolute best thing in the world because having information overload, it can be a good thing to help us make the right decision or like having a plethora of options of what to do in life. It can be good, but at the same time, it can also paralyze you because Mm -hmm. you don't know how to sift through all those options there. So jumping back into books, we already talked about the subtle art of not giving enough, but are there any other books that you would recommend or that you've just really loved? And if so, why have you liked them so much? I have had similar goals to you just about every year of my life where I want to read. Several years I've done a book a week and obviously I've always failed at that. (laughs) I mean... It's it's a very tough thing to keep up with, but uh, this year I just I've determined just to read one book a month, really dive into it. But one of the books that I read last year was, and this may be a little bit uh, childish, maybe or high schoolish, but uh, it was Animal Farm by George Orwell, and it really helped me. I feel like that's just a good allegory for society. It was written so long ago, but it's still applicable today. And it's just, it's a very interesting look at society. So I'd have to say Animal Farm is worth a read, even if you've already read it, maybe read it again. Surprisingly, I've never actually read that book. We read 1984 when I was in school, but we never read Animal Farm. So I got to put that on my list because, I mean, it's a classic for a reason. I just haven't gotten around to it. I'm curious, personally... How far did you make it on your book a week goals? <laughs> not not as far as I'd like to have made it. I think I made it to 24 books one year. The problem was I started reading uh, Atlas Shrugged. So that took like half the year pretty much. I feel you on that. I'm reading a book called Sapiens right now. And it's incredible. It is a very, very good book. I think Warren Buffett said it was his favorite book of 2018. And Bill Gates also had it on his like top list and stuff. And it's really, really good, actually. But it's like 500 pages, and I'm only halfway done. So I think I'm going to have to kind of break it up and read two books at a time just so that I can stick with that and keep getting a book a week. Again, I just wanted to say thank you for taking the time just to be able to talk with me this morning and share your story and just really open up and talk about some of the things that you've learned and some of the things that have really helped you find success personally and in your business there. So thank you again for taking your time and doing that. And I just wanted to get the opportunity for all of our listeners out there. I just wanted the chance for all of our listeners out there to be able to follow you and connect with you on Instagram or anything else there. So where can they find you and connect with you? Yeah. So on Instagram is where I throw all my photography stuff. Uh, I tell stories in my captions and, uh, you're a good storyteller, by the way, my Instagram is at toasty hug. And, uh, that's across all the social medias. That's my at, at toasty hug. So Twitter, Instagram, that's how you find me. Awesome. Okay. Yeah. Go look him up. Go give him a follow. He's an awesome guy as you can tell. And as you've learned here, Plus, he's incredibly talented and he's got big things in the works too. So thanks again for being on here and I definitely appreciate it. Thanks, man. Yeah, good talking to you. 